Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and suspense old-time radio shows, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and as promised, and I will say hopefully sometime next month, I'm going to start incorporating, and not on every episode, maybe one or two episodes a month, um, original material, along with the old-time radio shows, whether it be short story narrations or an actual performance of an original radio play script. As of now, I'm working on a script which is basically completed. It's an adaptation from a short story I discovered on YouTube. I'm just communicating back and forth with the author just to make sure I have the permission, her permission, if you will, to air it. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two programs featured tonight are the granddaddy of radio shows, Suspense, and a little obscure short-lived radio program entitled Theater 1030. Now, Suspense, which has been dubbed Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills, was one of the most top-rated radio programs during the golden age of radio. It debuted on June 17, 1942, and ended on September 30, 1962. Throughout its 20-year run, it went through a multitude of producers as well as directors, most notably Elliot Lewis, who took over the reins in the early 1950s, which many considered to be the program's heyday. When I was doing um, research for this episode, I discovered that Alfred Hitchcock directed its audition, well, I guess we would call it its pilot episode, on June 22, 1940, for the CBS summer series, Forecast, and it was an adaptation of his 1926 film, The Lodge. Now, there were a myriad of silver screen actors who were featured on Suspense's episodes, and we're talking, oh, Henry Fonda, Cary Grant, Ralph Edwards, Lena Horne, Orson Welles, and of course, the incomparable Agnes Moorhead, who was labeled as the first lady of suspense. Within the first few years of its inception, the two highest rated radio plays were Sorry Wrong Number, which starred Miss Moorhead, and The Hitchhiker, starring Orson Welles. And both were written by the popular author, Louise Fletcher. It also was a television series that ran from January 6, 1949, and ended on August 17, 1954, on CBS. And I didn't realize this until a few months ago. There was also a revival, which began in 2012 on Sirius XM Radio, and still airs on more than about 300 radio stations, as well as um, on YouTube. The radio play tonight is entitled A Little Piece of Rope, starring the iconic Lucille Ball. And it was first broadcasted on January 14th, 
1948. So you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to a little piece of rope. In just a moment, suspense with Lucille Ball. Hi, Arnold. Well, look who's here. Say, it's mighty nice of you to be sitting around all week just to hear me tell more about Autolite. Oh, I haven't been waiting around all week. Why, I was way up in Oregon. Oh, that's swell. That's swell. Hey, Hap, do you know the real story about Autolite stay-full batteries? Well, sure, I know the real story about Autolite stay-full batteries. Needs water only three times a year in normal car use. What a battery. Stay-full, that is. Why, by Cornelius, an Autolite stay-full battery has more liquid reserve than a centipede has legs, than an ocean has waves, than a rabbit has, well, rabbits. Water, whales spout it, geysers gush it, people drink it, but Autolite stay-full batteries carry good old Aquapura so long and so well, they take a drink about as often as you have a birthday, a wedding anniversary, and a New Year's celebration. Only three times a year in normal car use. And let me tell you something else. You'd better get an Autolite stay-full battery before... Uh, before you go on some more, Harlow, let's listen to suspense. Outstanding Theater of Thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Lucille Ball in Anton Leder's production of A Little Piece of Rope. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. They said I'd never make good here in Hollywood. Everywhere I went was the same story. Sure, they'd see me, but the minute they took a look at my baby face, all I'd get was advice and excuses. No job. My last try was for a schoolgirl part. I was too baby-faced to even land that one. I was walking home, still wearing the school uniform that I'd bought to help me get the part, when I got the idea. Then I remembered another thing. It was years ago reading an old copy of the Police Gazette in Grandpa's attic. Printed about 1880, I guess. With their falsely youthful faces, dressed as innocent schoolgirls, these vicious females haunt the vicinity of select young ladies' seminary. And with their airs of artless girlhood, they entice and trap unwary gentlemen, some from the best of families, It was funny then, but now, well, those gals were suckers. I take the exclusive gents for all they've got and give absolutely nothing. That's how I made good in Hollywood, up to a thousand dollars a month good. I just take a little walk. I've got uniforms for all the best schools, and I still have the baby face. So help me, lots of those kids look older than I do. When school's out, I let some old wolf pick me up, 
They always want to park up in the hills or some other lonely place. I drop my compact. He bends over to pick it up. I let him have it with a special little blackjack I carry. Then I leave, taking their wallets and any letters I find. You'd be surprised at some of the letters some of them do have. Makes a dandy bank balance now and then. Them? <laughs> Remember, I pick them old enough to have families, dignified jobs. Would they want to admit to chasing bobby soxers? They never squawk. <laughs> My landlady thinks I'm the ideal tenant. Oh, she's no trouble at all, the poor little thing. Infantile, you know. Has to take long walks every day and rest the rest of the time. Never any prawn or dates like other pretty girls. Well, lucky she can afford it, I say. Be a county ward otherwise. And so sweet and quiet on complaining poor little soul. Yes, Mrs. Tilford is a swell character witness. Of course, I always wear a coat over those uniforms near home, and I keep them locked up just in case she snoops. Yes, yes, I've got a nice career in Hollywood. That is, I I did have until last month. You going out in this cold, Isabel? Oh, this is a good heavy coat. Well, don't you overdo now. These walks are just what the doctor ordered. Anyway, you sure look healthy enough. Oh, thank heaven for that. Anything I can pick up for you on the way back? Oh, no, thanks, dearie. I got everything done. Goodbye now. Bye. I was dressed for Miss Cadwaller's school this time, and it was just letting out when I got there. I didn't have long to wait. You know, you get so you can tell by the way the cars move along the street if the guy's on the prowl. This one was driving a big black coupe, and he was a little younger than I liked, about 40, but he can't be too fussy. I stepped off the curb, pretending to look for a bus. Waiting for the bus? Why, yes, I am. Which one? The Bel Air bus. Oh, I say, that's a shame. Why? I just passed it back there. Broken axle. Oh. Uh, you know, I think I've seen you passing my house. What street do you live on? Cameron. Oh, sure. I'm just over on Bender. Hop in, I'll take you home. Oh, well, you're a neighbor. I guess it's... Gee, thanks, Mr... Rice. Alex Rice. Insurance. How do you do? Like school? I hate it. School's no fun. I'd like... Oh, I... What? Oh, excitement. Danger. <laughs> I suppose you think I'm pretty silly. No. No, I think you're the kind of girl who'll get excitement and danger. Really? Yes, really. Look, it's so early yet. I'd like to take the long way through the hills. It's pretty there now. Oh, yes, I'd love to. I think the hills are divine. <laughs> Out of this world? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <sighs> What's the initial on your bag for? The initial? Yeah. Irma? Um, Inez? Ingeborg? Oh, Ingeborg. You made that up. No, it's Swedish. Uh, Imogene? Uh, no, Irene. Irene Taylor. A pretty name. 
for a pretty girl. I'll bet. You have beautiful hair and eyes and a beautiful throat. Well, throat. Irene, you're very good. Oh, Mr. Rice, I dropped my compact. You don't need it. But it might get stepped on. You won't need it. But I want it now. Oh, I... Oh, I know. You're also here. Oh! Character, huh? Well, here. Roll back a little. There. I. Well, what do you know? Rope. Now, why would a guy carry a piece of rope in his inside breast pocket? Hmm. Nice wallet. Well, goodbye, Mr. Rice, and thanks for everything. Back home, I showered and changed and settled down to see what was in this wallet worth keeping. Only about 50 bucks. What made it so thick was a lot of newspaper clippings. Oh! Oh, no! It can't be! But it was. Those clippings were all about the strangler who'd murdered five girls in the last year. Left them in the hills with a piece of rope around their necks and never a clue. And Alexander Rice carried his press notices. Alexander Rice carried a little piece of rope in his inside breast pocket. Picked up girls, drove into the hills. Alexander Rice wasn't his name. No, his driver's license said Benjamin Carney. I had picked up and slugged. The Strangler. My latest sucker was the most dangerous man in the country. For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Miss Lucille Ball in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. there, neighbor. I didn't get going very well on those Autolite stay-full batteries. Now, look here, Harlow Wilcox. I Never mind. To... I'm right back in there pitching. See if I could only tell you about every one of those 400 Autolite automotive, aviation, and marine products. Well, that takes real breath, lots of breath. And while I'm not as short on taking breath as an Autolite stay-full battery is on taking a drink, not by a jugful, even I just haven't got enough breath for that. Well, have you just stopped talking so I much? I can sure wind up and sound off on those Autolite stay-full batteries, though. Making camels look like topers is just the beginning with them. They've got oversized electrical capacity plus fiberglass insulation. You know what that means, my friend? Well, sure I know what that means. It means you should find out for yourself how long these batteries are bound to live. You'd have to hibernate like Rip Van Winkle. I guess you could at that if you had an Autolite stay-full battery in your car. I've got an Autolite. By the way those Autolite engineers designed that Autolite stay-full battery is so darned ingenious by Cornelius that you could pay as little attention to your Autolite stay-full battery as Rip Van Winkle did to old Father Time. Go down to your Autolite dealer and get one right away. There's no better buy in batteries, my boy, because no better batteries be behind the buy line of Barlow Billcock. Now, look, Billcock, I mean Wilcox, huh? you got these in my bonnet now. If you'll only pipe down, we'll hear some more of suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to a Hollywood soundstage Miss Lucille Ball as Isabel in a little piece of rope. 
A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. At first, I just shivered over my narrow escape. Why, if I hadn't been out to get him, he'd have gotten me. I'd be number six in tomorrow's headlines. Then I suddenly realized I was the only one who could identify him. I can't be silent, let him go on killing. I've got to go to the police station and tell them. I started to go out when it occurred to me I couldn't. I didn't dare go to the police and take the chance of exposing my own racket. If that ever came out, and it probably would, San Quentin, here I come. It seems they're a little stuffy about people who carry blackjacks and steal wallets and sell letters. So, instead, I went for a walk. A real one this time, and tried to think. Pretty soon another thought hit me. He knew I could identify him by now. Strangler was no fool. He'd have me figured out and know the kind of place and time to look for me. And he'd certainly be looking for me, to kill me, to shut my mouth forever. I had to find a way to... City desk, Thompson. I... I know who the strangler is. Who's this? I can't tell you that. Oh, I see. Well, what can you tell me? You know his name? Benjamin Carney. Carney? C-A-R-N-E-Y, 1156A, Boydell Street. Yeah, description? About 40, 5'9 or 10, 160 pounds, dark hair, eyes, skin, even features. Not ugly, not handsome. Drives a big black coupe, lady, late model. Got it. Any identifying marks, mustache? No, nothing. And how do you know this guy's the strangler? I just know. Goodbye. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can trace the call? Hundreds of phony clues, and he thought mine was another. But surely they'd check that name and address. All the way home, I had a creepy feeling he was around somewhere, following me, waiting. The evening paper barely mentioned my call, just listed it with several others. Radio wasn't very much better. An unidentified woman phoned in a description of the killer as a 40-year-old brunette, medium height and weight, no distinguishing features, driving a new black coupe. Police checks revealed that such a man, with the name she gave, had moved from the address given several months before the first of the Strangler murders, but there is no further trace of him. Investigation continues, but it is believed this is another spite accusation. A Portland, Oregon woman reported the Strangler as the man who entered her hen house last night and... No use phoning again. I didn't think a letter would help much either, but I tried. Being careful, it couldn't be traced to me and mailed it to a newspaper that night. Hey, Mike. Mike, you going to the courthouse? Take this to O'Shea, will you? Another strangler letter telling gold. Why can't he just strangle letter writers? One more and I'll strangle somebody. Another failure. The letter wasn't even printed. I was getting jumpy from being cooped up like a prisoner. What if he couldn't find me as long as I stayed home? I was losing money every day I didn't pull my act. I could leave town, but... Why should I give up this good thing, my, my perfect setup? I've been doing fine. In another year, I could quit the racket. 
make friends, invest my money, maybe even get married. But now this had happened. I'd never be safe. Not as long as we both lived. I finally faced it. I have to find him and kill him. This time I put an ad in the personals column. Would he see it? Well, I'd run it till he did. A.K. Rice can book your rope act for mutual profit. Have immediate out-of-town engagement. Signed, Slugger. <laughs> rope act. <laughs> mutual profit. <huh? laughs> I knew that would get him because it sounded like blackmail. And by pretending to fall for a shakedown, he'd hope to get close enough to kill me. Only it was going to be the other way around. And so our strange correspondence began. He answered right away. Slugger, interested in offers. Send, Send details, details, box 047M298, Rice. I had him hooked. I didn't lose any time writing. <laughs> Dear Mr. Rice, I have an invention which I think you'll want for your... Robot. It's expensive, but remember... It's completely silent. <laughs> and yours exclusively if we agree on terms. Signed, Slugger. Mm-hmm. Completely silent. <laughs> Delicious. And expensive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and details of contract. Rice. So close now. I couldn't afford the slightest mistake now or... Dear Mr. Rice, 5,000 cash buys complete assortment of paper and leather goods. Time and place of meeting must be my choice, but decide fast. I must leave town immediately. Signed, Slugger. P.S. You should never have left that snapshot in your wallet. It's awfully good of you. Snapshot. I thought I... Oh, no. I didn't run it. So, the little lady's in a jam. Needs money to hide out. And I can help her make her get away. Oh, I can indeed. Slugger. Price okay. We'll close at your convenience, Rice. I've got him. My plan was as foolproof as I could make it. I packed a suitcase of the kind of clothes I'd hate to be found dead in, and maybe I would be, and told Mrs. Milford I was taking a vacation with friends. Oh, I'm so glad, dearie. I said to Miss Knight yesterday, that child should have country air. City air just don't do the same for you. Yes, I know. It'll do me good. And you stay longer if they ask you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about me holding the apartment for you. Well, thanks a lot, Mrs. Tilford. It's certainly nice of you. I have to catch that train now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a nice time now. I took those awful clothes to the bus depot, changed, washed, and let the soap dry on my face till it was white and shiny and ten years older. With my hair skinned back tight under an old beret, I, I saw a stranger in the mirror. Baby face was gone. Good. 
No one had noticed me, and looking like this, nobody would. Then I walked to another apartment I'd rented by phone last week. It was in a dingy neighborhood. I'm Miss Sprout. Oh, Miss Sprout. You can move right in. The people left yesterday. Here, this is the key. It's the first door at the head of the stairs. Fine, I'll, I'll go right up. It ain't clean yet. Them stairs bother me so. Oh, I'd really rather do it myself, thank you. Well, I'll just leave you alone there. Now I was Miss Annie Sproat, librarian. And I looked as much like Isabel Towns' baby face as, as an alley cat looks like a Persian. I sat down to write the last letter. Dear Mr. Rice, come to 609 Fitzgilbert Place at 10 p.m. Friday. And don't try to come near me or I'll scream my head off. Tap five times, come in, and stand right by the door while we make sure neither of us is double-crossing the other. Have the money in an unsealed envelope. I want that traveling money, but I'd rather take a chance on the cops than on you, so follow instructions. Slugger. <sighs> you fool. You baby-faced fool. He'd have to make sure the layout was right before he'd dare attack me. And the more precautions I took, the more he'd believe I was on the level. Near the door where he'd stand, I, I put a chest with a lamp on it. That was my booby trap, that lamp. The room was so dimly lit, he'd, he'd have to light my lamp to look at the wallet. And when he pulled the light chain, he'd shoot himself. I had a gun fixed where the bulb should be, and the chain pulled the trigger. It was set to get him in the chest. Heart, if I was lucky. Dead or not, I'd leave him there for the cops, with his wallet and clippings. <laughs> Pretty cute, huh? And I'd skip out the back way with all that beautiful money, go to the depot, become Isabel Towns again, safe and free. I wore gloves all the time I was there, and the suitcase with Isabel Towns' identity in it was ready by the back door. The hours passed by centuries, and the old house creaked like a sick old man in a squeaky bed. Of course, it might be the house, or it might be someone on the stairs. And then it was ten o'clock. I was standing at the other end of the room, facing the door. The light was very dim. I heard the feet coming up the stairs, or or was it just the creaking of the old house? No. No.
Good evening, slugger. You see, I'm prompt slugger. Stand where you are. Certainly. Did you bring the money? Yes, indeed. Here. This envelope. Throw it down in the middle of the room, between us. Go ahead, throw it down. We'll stay there while you examine the leather goods. Do you have the wallet here? Yes. Throw the money. I, I can't reach it from here, you know. It's quite safe. All right. There. The wallet. Where is it? On that chest beside you by the lamp. Aren't, aren't you going to look to see that everything's there? <laughs> Why should I? I trust you. So long, baby face. See you around. <sighs> He's gotten away, alive. He must have guessed I'd done something to the lamp. So he was still alive and still dangerous. But at least I had the money, the $5,000. I picked up the envelope and opened it. There was nothing in it but pieces of newspaper cut to the size of bills. <gasps> Why, you dirty cheat! I ran to the door and opened it. I looked out, but he wasn't in sight. Maybe I could catch him before he got out of the house. Oh, you won't get away with this. I stepped into the hall and before I could turn, I felt the rope around my neck. His hands were pulling it tight. Baby, I told you. You'll be safe on the floor while we finish our business. Now, I'll take a look at that wallet, baby. You might have held out some of those clippings. I'll just turn on this light. Oh! return in just a moment. Say, uh, Hap, you going back to Oregon? Well, how? Uh, it's a nice trip if you can get it with an all-light stay full battery. You know, I'd advise you to get a sign for your thumb saying, any car with Autolite stay full batteries can carry me. I forgot my canteen. But how, no, uh, Of course, you could buy an Autolite stay full battery and simply insist that whoever picked you up use your battery. But you couldn't get back to Oregon that way. No, sirree, they'd never let you out of the car just so they could keep that wonderful Autolite stay full battery. Let's see, after you got to Oregon, you can go to Washington, Montana, Minnesota, Maine, New York, and but Florida. But, Harlow, I've been trying to tell you I've got an Autolite stay-full battery. Oh, well, then you know that 
Autolite means batteries. Stay full batteries. Autolite means spark plug. Ignition engineered spark plug. Autolite means ignition system. The lifeline of your car. And now here again is Miss Lucille Ball. It's always a great pleasure to appear on Suspense. Especially when the part is so unusual and exciting. That's right, Miss Ball. The part of Isabel tonight was very different from your regular radio role on My Favorite Husband. <laughs> Plug. Why not? Why not? Something like, uh, listen to Lucille Ball as Liz Cougat on My Favorite Husband every Saturday night. Over your favorite CBS station. All right? <laughs> Wonderful. And I hope all of you will be listening next week when Suspense presents William Powell in a role that's also different from the parts he's been playing lately. He's playing a man who's just stolen a quarter of a million dollars and then finds out that... But you'll hear about it next Thursday when Suspense brings you Give Me Liberty, another gripping study in... Suspense. Lucille Ball may soon be seen in the Paramount production, Sorrowful Jones. Harry Kroger was heard tonight in the part of The Strangler. Tonight's suspense play was written by Virginia Cross, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, suspense will present such stars as John Garfield, Margaret O'Brien, Sidney Greenstreet, Agnes Moorhead, Edmund O'Brien, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Next Thursday, same time, hear William Powell in Give Me Liberty. This is the Autolite Suspense Show. Here's your party, Miss Ball. We should all support our local community chest in their drives for fun. Money is badly needed for aid to the handicapped, child care, hospitals, clinics, and a host of other humanitarian services. Subscribe to your local community chest. Everybody benefits, everybody gives. Thank you. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. I always consider Lucille Ball to be the reversed version of Merle Streep. And what does that mean, Keith? Well, think about it. We all know that Merle Streep is a fantastic, dramatic actress, but she's also a great comedic actress. The movie Death Becomes Her is one of my favorites, as with Lucille Ball. The entire world knows of her comedic ability. But before I Love Lucy ever hit the airwaves, she was performing dramatic roles on screen and radio for years. But that's just a side note. Now, our next radio program, entitled Theater 1030, there isn't much written about the show. I, as they like to say, scrubbed the internet. And only thing I could find was that it was a Canadian radio show. It started in the late 60s, ended in the early 1970s, supposedly between 1968 
1971 and only 8 to 10 episodes survived. And unfortunately, the audio on most of them is awful. The radio play tonight, Ghost Town Hermit, isn't bad. And I actually like the story. I have no idea when it was first broadcasted, but it's still an enjoyable play. So, sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Ghost Town Hermit. to tell of the unaccountable, of apparitions by night and phantoms in shadows. Time to tell strange tales of fantasy and the supernatural. Mystery Theater presents The Ghost Town Hermit by Alan King. I went up to Colville that summer to get material for some feature articles on British Columbia ghost towns. You've heard of those dead mining towns in the northern part of the province. I found a story there, but I never wrote it. I have a certain reputation on a Vancouver paper I work on, and I wanted to keep it. I'd been ill the winter before, and Frank Strait, my editor, was being very nice about it. You could do with a series of articles for the magazine section on ghost towns. Why don't you and Lois take a month up there? Six weeks, if you like. You need a holiday, and I need a series of features. I'd like to, Frank, but I'm all right, you know a couple of weeks would be all that. Nonsense, Ken. You look like the back end of a hard winter. You're going to take a long holiday and write me some stories. And build yourself up. Give me the willies just looking at you. Okay, Frank. I'll go. Lois will be tickled, I know. Uh, is there anything special you have in mind? Oh, no. Get into some of the lesser-known towns. Barkerville's been done to death. Try some of the others. Colville, for instance. Murder there once. One of two brothers. Other one stayed on. Hermit. Don't know whether he's still there. Where is the place? Up near Burridge, I think. You'll find it. Maybe nothing in the story, and the place may have disappeared by now. I'll go and see anyway. Sure. Leave whenever you want to, Ken, and don't come back till you look more human. Frank was right about Colville. In the gold rush days, there'd been a murder there. And though the murder was never caught, there seemed to be a certain Bella Sawyer mixed up in it, too. She was a girl in a traveling stage show, apparently. Made a tour of those boom towns every few months. And it certainly looked promising, and we decided to make Colville our first point of investigation. We drove leisurely. I was recuperating fast and wanted to loaf a bit. It was nearly a week before we turned into Burridge, where I thought I'd better try fishing for information about Colville. I got most bites from Sam Bryden, who ran the general store. 25 miles north of here, Mr. Bly. The ghost town. The real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, been up there once. Just like you see in the movies. One street, buildings falling apart. False fronts are still there. Some of them. Saloons, banks, the Opry House. Opera House? Yes, ma'am. All them ghost towns have their opera houses. Well, it's not much, you know. They call them opera houses, though. Uh -huh. Stage shows used to come around in those days. Did you ever hear of a girl called Bella Sawyer? Uh, I don't recall. 
She was in one of those shows, I believe. Well, old Danny, you know. Danny? Who's he? The only inhabitant of Colville. You mean there's still somebody living there? Sure. Danny Quayle. But what does he do? I mean, how does he live? Just gets along, I guess. Kind of peculiar, you might say. Comes down here about once in two months, buys some supplies. How does he pay for them? Gold. Pans enough to buy what he needs. Been there ever since the gold rush days. Wonder where he stayed on. Well, you were asking. His brother was uh, murdered there, you know. Marty Quailed. About 50 years ago it was. I've heard the story two or three different ways. Some say it was... Wait now. Did you say Bella Sawyer? Yes. That was the name. I remember them telling me when I first came here. I have been here only about 15 years. They said this Marty Quail was kind of stuck on this girl, Sally, uh, Bella Sawyer. And he was murdered. Didn't they catch the murderer? Ever? Nope. Some figured it was one fellow, some figured it was another. A lot of people got themselves killed in them days. Folks wasn't too particular. Well, now I think of it, some of them thought maybe Danny Quail killed his brother. Killed his brother? Yeah. He wouldn't have stayed on, surely, if he did. He wouldn't think so. What does Danny talk about when he comes down for supplies? Oh, usually he don't talk about nothing at all. Once in a while, he goes on about making a strike, stuff like that. Uh, I don't pay no attention. All them old sourdoughs talk like that. Yes, I know. Yeah. There's one thing I've never been able to figure out, though. What's that? Candles. Always buys candles. But he wants to have a light, I suppose. Well, what's so strange about that? No. Got an oil lamp in his cabin. I know that. Because he buys oil. Buys a lot of candles. By the dozen, in fact. Well, that is strange, in fact. Yeah. I got uh, kind of curious one day, and I asked him. What did he say? He said, and I remember his very words, he said, you wouldn't want her to sing in the dark, would you? Huh? What did he mean? Now, search me, ma'am. He wouldn't say no more. I never asked him again. I picked up one or two more scraps of information, but it was hard. Nobody was left alive in Burridge who remembered those days over 50 years ago when the gold fever was at its height. There were some who had heard stories, though. I learned a little about the Quail brothers. They were totally unlike. Marty, the murdered one. Dark, good-looking, had a way with women, they said. Danny, plodding, slow-talking, hard-working. I guess Danny did most of the work on the brothers' claim. And there were hints of a flashing romance between Marty and Bella Sawyer. And then Marty was strangled, and Bella never came back to Colville. Strangled. That puzzled me. In those violent days, men killed with a knife or a gun. Strangling wasn't in the picture. Now there was nothing more that I could get in Burridge, and so we bought some supplies and headed north for Colville. Said. Like a movie set. The silence. Can't believe there's anything alive here. There are no birds even. 
It's like a town that's waiting for the end of the world. I don't like it very much. There's nothing to be afraid of, dear. The dead can't hurt you. Something out of character. Out of balance. I don't know what it is. What do you mean? It's hot. Sunny. Lovely summer day, and yet... Something cold and dead about all this. It's hot, certainly. You want to walk along and have a look at things? All right. Look at the fronts of these buildings. Yeah. Trying to be impressive. Nothing behind them. Hey, what was this? Can you tell? It's something left of the name up there. Look. O. O. A. <laughs> Saloon. Oh, yeah. There'll be plenty of those. And there's the bank next door. You see? I wonder if they've forgotten left the money in there. You want to go in and see? Oh, not me. Probably fall through the floor. If there's a floor left. Mm. Oh, Ken, look. What? Over there, the opera house. Why, George, so it is. The Bella Sawyer used to come and sing. Did you notice something about it? Notice what? Well, it looks taken care of. Oh, no. It's pretty dilapidated to me. I know, but the letters in the name are much clearer than any others in the street. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Almost as if someone had... Come on. Let's go over and have a look. All right. shape after all. Oh, but look at the name. Somebody has tried to do something with it. Uh-huh. It's been painted since, uh, long after anything else around here was painted. Oh. I'd like to have a look inside. Come on. Mm-hmm. Just as I thought. Oh. Pretty well gone. A few benches, eh? Well bought. Look at the cobwebs. Look at how thick they are. What's that? What? Over there. Scrap of an old poster. Look, Liz. Oh, yes. Badly torn. Get it better. So braided and beautiful. This. Oh, damn it. It'd be torn there. Do you think it was Bella Sawyer? I don't know. It all depends on... Uh, it wasn't far I never came back. There was a sudden scream made my heart pound against my ribs. We whirled around from the poster holding on to each other. And there in front of us, no doubt about it, was Danny Quayle. He was an old, old man. His eyes pale blue, his face seamed and weathered, his hair and beard, a streaky white, all straggling. There was something on his head that had once been a hat. His clothes were just a covering, patched till they had no shape or resemblance to what they had been. What he wore on his feet told us why we'd failed to hear him approach. For instead of shoes, his feet were wrapped in old cloth and sacking. He stood there, apparently not very surprised. One hand held half-raised to point the torn poster. No, 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 came back. These players not till till that other time. You uh you're Danny Quayle? Eh? I say, you must be Danny Quayle. 
Yeah. You strangers in town, ain't you? That's right. You know? I just came up to Colville to, uh, uh to look around. Yes. Trying to get her fixed up. Get what fixed up, sir? Upper house. Have to do it myself. Nobody else will give me a hand. But you live here all alone, don't you? There's nobody to help you. I ain't alone. No, sir. Not alone. Not alone. Easy. It's all right, Lois. He's a little, uh, you know. Danny. Yeah? Danny, uh, we'd like to talk to you. We want you to tell us something about Colville. The old days, you know. Eh? Could we, uh, go up to your cabin? Who are you? What are you looking for? It's all right, Danny. We just want you to tell us some stories about the old days when you were prospecting here. You'll stay away from my cabin. Well, all right. We won't go there, then. I'll tell you what. You come along to our car. We got something to eat there. Maybe you'd like a drink. How about it? He came, finally. He ate greedily and drank a little. We tried to draw him out, but his mind wandered. Patiently, I tried to work the conversation around to Marty and Bella Sawyer. He was very worried. I could tell that years ago he'd been severely questioned about the murder. I told him they were satisfied. Marty's dead. Good and dead. Didn't do no good. She came back one night. I was there. She came back looking for Marty. Every year she came back looking for him. She never found him. Tell us, uh, tell us about that other night. The night your brother was killed. Strangled. He was strangled. They found him outside the upper house. She's seen him lying there. She's seen him. She's seen him dead. It's all right, Rose. What happened before that, Danny? Huh? Did something happen in the opera house? He was sitting beside me. She was singing. He got up, started singing too. Singing with her. He was singing with her. Now, he won't be singing with her tonight. He won't be there. He won't be there. Tonight? Well, I gotta go. I gotta get things ready for her. For her? You mean she's... She don't want nobody else to do it, just me. Gotta light the candles. She can't see without the candles. Gotta get things ready. She can't see without candles. Can't see what I'm scared. Oh, Ken. I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of, darling. He's armless. The way he talks, he believes Bella Sawyer's coming near tonight. Of course he does. He was in love with her. You can see that. He's just cracked, that's all. He believes that she comes back from time to time. What was all that about candles? Hmm. I'm just beginning to get an idea. Yeah. I'm telling you what. Let's just take it easy for a while. As long as it gets dark, I think we're going to find out what the old boy's up to. Uh, I don't want to be here when it's dark. No. And there's not a thing to be afraid of. There's no one else but Danny here. And he can't hurt you. I know he can't. But what, darling? It's the 
Danny Quayle shuffling down the street, going noiselessly on his old rags. There was nobody else in Colville but him and the two of us. Nobody else. Lois was a brave girl that night. Her will would have taken her back to Burridge, but still she came with me down the street towards the opera house. Neither of us spoke as we slipped tensely past the dead buildings with their distorted shadows. We were within 20 paces of the opera house, and Lois froze in her tracks and seized my arm with both hands. Ken, look. There's a light. A light? Where? There, look. Can't you see it? Good Lord, so there is. It's in the opera house. What can it be? It seems to be shining through a crack. Come on, let's find out. But, Ken, it's all right. It can only be old Danny. Come on. Don't make a noise. And watch the board. recognition of the bold smile of the woman who sang. And then, without warning, leaping to his feet, vaulting over the footlights onto the stage, and arm in arm with Bella Sawyer, joining her in a chorus of the hate of the day. And a word exchange, perhaps, under the cover of the shouts and applause, and then the young man, flushed and triumphant, shaking his locked hands at the audience in a token of success, and jumping down again to the floor, falling back into his seat, Telling his brother exultantly, I'm going away with her tonight after the show. And the brother mute. And then. Ken! Look! Is he getting up? What's he going to do? Shh! Watch him. Look. He's trying to climb up onto the stage. Yeah. It's probably about middle. He's making it. He's going around the end of the footlights. You see? Why? What for? Shh. Keep it very still. 
answer a lot of things. Yes. He's made it. I didn't think he would. He's walking towards the center. He's looking at something. Can you tell what it is? Lois, what's the matter? Oh, on the stage. There. Standing right in front of me. It's her, Ken. It's her. Lois, now get a hold of yourself. There's nothing there. There is so I can see her. Bella Sire. Look. She's moving towards me. Lois. Darling, now listen to me. Oh, Ken. There's nothing on that stage. You hear me? There's nothing there. Only a poor, imbecile old man. I can see her. She's there. She is there. It's the shadows. It's your imagination. It's... Don't move my dad. What's he doing? He's backing across the stage. Away from whatever it is. He's trying to ward something off. He's... No. Don't talk that up. Leave me alone. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I killed him. I killed your Marty. I killed my own brother. He was going away with you last night. I loved you, Bella. He was no good. He'd have left you. I was the one that loved you, Bella. I, I strangled him. Killed him with my own hands. Had to do it that way. Had to show him with my own hands, my own strength, Bella. Oh, no! No, get away from me, John! What's he doing with his hands? He's going to his throat. He's fighting something off. Lois, come on. Come on, we've got to help him. No! 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 He was interested in something else entirely. 
You say the old man was on his knees as if something was bearing down on him. That right, Mr. Bly? Yes, Doctor. Hmm. A delusion, of course. He wasn't right in his head. Everyone knew that. And uh, you say his hands were up around his throat? Yes. Very curious. Take a look at this throat, Mr. Bly. Look at the marks. That man's been strangled. That's what it sounded like last night. As if you were being strangled. Exactly. But in all my experience, sir, I've never before known a man to strangle himself. I had nothing to say. Let him think that. There were things I remembered. Things I would never forget. The cold eddy of air that brushed past us. The narrow path through the dust on the rotting stage. The shadowy figure of a woman in old-fashioned summer frock that Lois saw crossing the stage. I wish I could convince her that it was a shadow thrown up by the guttering candles and the footlights embellished by her imagination. I wish I could convince myself. presented The Ghost Town Hermit, the first in a brief series of ghost stories and tales of the supernatural. The script was by Alan King, and the story was presented with John Scott as Ken, Peg Dixon as Lois, and Eric Clavering as Old Danny. Alfred Gallagher was heard as Frank, the newspaper editor, Douglas Master as Sam, the storekeeper, and Hugh Watson as the doctor. Sound effects were by Alex Sheridan. Technical operation, Ross Totten. This is Bill Lawrence speaking. our show for this evening I want to thank you all for listening and remember you can always follow me on Facebook at facebook.com terror1970 or you can find me on Instagram at radio show nerd or Twitter radio show nerd one this is Keith aka the radio show nerd signing off <laughs>